Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Autocast series of Great Women Podcasts. I'm Rachel Prasher, Haymarket Automotive's Managing Director, and I'm delighted to be joined by Linda Ennis, who founded Ennis & Co, a team of executive search specialists who are at the cutting edge of the recruitment industry. As a bit of background, we've designed these podcasts to build on the groundbreaking Great Women initiative that Autocar has been running for six years, promoting the brightest and best talent in the automotive industry. And few would know more about that than Linda. Apart from everything anything else, she helps Autocar with the judging for the Great Women Awards, using her expert eye to help refine the field. Having done the judging for six years now, I know we would be sunk without you. And since founding Ennis & Co in 2010, she's helped recruit some of the finest minds in the automotive world, both here in the UK and internationally. Welcome, Linda, and thanks so much for joining us today. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for um, inviting me. Brilliant. Uh, So if I can go right back to the beginning, what inspired you to set up Ennis & Co? Well, Rachel, God, how long have we got? long as you want it's um it's been a long journey um but i've always sort of wanted to work for myself i always had that sort of passion um and that was driven really from um the love of automotive um that i got from my dad who used to restore vintage vehicles for the film and tv industry so i grew up with some amazing cars as you can well imagine um and i also had this massive love of of people um And I like meeting people. I'm generally nosy. I want to find out all about them. So I wanted to sort of bring the two things that I really enjoyed uh, in my career, the love of cars and automotive industry and the passion for people together. And um, during my corporate career, I looked and uh, recruited many people and I used search companies. And I, I was disappointed that Sometimes I used to see the same CVs and I never used to see a proper mapping of the market. And I suddenly thought, you know what, there's a gap here. There's an opportunity. So I researched that gap and I researched how search companies work. Um, And then I decided to start myself from my dining room table um, 12 years ago, giving up all those corporate uh, wonderful things and that I got from a a comfort perspective. and I started Edison Co. And 12 years on, a lot of grey hairs and visiting to the visits to the hairdressers. Um, but we're still here. And, and also, I, I wanted to create something that was a little bit different. I wanted to get rid of that snotty sort of feel that search can have. I wanted to make it a bit more real. And I wanted to start a company where the individuals had a voice. They had an opportunity to um, uh, be part of the growing of the, of the company. Um, we could have some fun, we could, we could work hard, but also I wanted to give them some careers. I wanted to push them in terms of making sure that they could realize their potential. So we built something that's very different. Um, it's, it's pretty different in the market and um, it's full of very like-minded people. It's very diverse. You know, we've got people in their twenties and people in their sixties. Um, and I think that's also helped grow the organization in the right way. So yeah, that's why I started it. That's why I'm going to continue it. And that's why we get up every day. Fantastic. And how has recruitment changed in that time? I don't think recruitment has has necessarily changed, Rachel. I think what's changed is the environment 
around recruitment and the methodology and the technology that recruitment has um, now. I think it was always about speed and it's even more about speed now. Um, and, and I think the face of the perception of what people think about recruitment as well has evolved over a, a, number, a number of years, whether that's on the contingent side or whether that's on research side. Um, but I think one thing that we're seeing right now is that the, it's a candidate passive, candidate driven market right now. Um, and that causes all sorts of challenges because candidate expectations have rocketed and therefore clients' expectations of wanting to move really quickly in this fast paced environment we're in sometimes you know, has its challenges. Um, and I know we're gonna come on to talking about skills, but that's one of the biggest challenges that we all we all face right now so in terms of recruitment you know it, it's the technology is there to make it quicker and faster you know there's lots more um, reporting there's lots more analyzing but you know at the end of the day recruitment is a very simple process it's just sometimes we tend to sometimes overcomplicate it great thank you so what would you say is ennis and co's usp well, I think I know, but I'm always conscious that, you know, you need people to tell you what they think you're good at. So, you know, I'm always very conscious of asking candidates for feedback, even through the process. I will ask them, you know, how, how was it? You know, could we improve anything? And I, and I think, you know, you, you're only ever as good as the last piece of work that you've completed. And we should always remember that. And I think that keeps you very real as an organisation as well. Um, so we do lots of feedback, you know, we, we ask all the time, uh, we do lots of surveys and, and, you know, we will follow a candidate right the way through to some of their onboarding and starting because it's really important that we make sure that, you know, what we say we're going to do, we actually do do it. So we have something called our Ennison Co ethos and it's like our four E's, um, you know, expertise, energy, engagement, and probably the most important one is equality. And, and that's equality across, you know, a whole range, you know, whether it's gender, whether it's age, you know, whether it's um, religion, it, there needs to be equality. And that's very, very important, not only for us as an organisation, but also it's very important for our clients and our candidates to know that we actually do live by what we say. So that's how we, we look at it. But I'm, but I'm always, I'm always keen to improve, I'm always keen to learn, you know, we never stop learning and as I said, we're only ever as good as the last piece of work we do. And, and that's always something that we think of when we, we talk to our clients and candidates. So I'm going to ask my next question with a certain amount of trepidation, given how crazy uh, everything feels right now. But what would you say the automotive industry is looking like at the moment? Well, I love it because it's full of excitement and uh, just just crazy times and I, I, I relish that and I love it. Um, the pace is, uh, of the evolution is relentless um, and some people are finding that a challenge without question of a doubt. Um, we're seeing customers, you know, their buying habits are completely changing and their service expectations are moving into new heights, which we just never thought we would, we'd ever see. You know, we have the whole future of retail, um, you know, going from the bricks and mortar model to the online journey model. And 
then complicated with what does the agency model mean and, and, and everything in terms of around the customer and what does that look like. You've obviously got the component shortage, which is really hitting hard. Um, and you've got super, super high used car prices. So I'm really keen to maybe I should sell my car right now, but I'm not sure I want to do that quite yet. You've got the EV evolution. Um, you've got the transformational infrastructure changing around moving into much more of a SaaS environment. So looking at the product, but looking at the service around it. And that's bringing in different challenges because against old and new skills and how that needs to evolve and tie together. Um, and finally, coupled with all of those changes, you've got a passive candidate market, which means you have got to go and really try and find these individuals on these candidates that are from outside sector, which again is, is great because for me, I think if you can balance the existing and the new, you get an, uh, an incredible amount of excitement. So the industry is going through just an incredible pace of, you know, in evolution and it's some love it, some are finding it challenging, but what we will be sure of is we'll work our way through it because we always have done. And I think that will bring us into a, a, a greater place and a, and a greater opportunity for people to join the sector as well. What does diversity mean at Bentley Motors? Diversity is what brings all these different perspectives to the table, right? These experiences that we have. And when we bring them together, that's when we create the best possible solutions. If I had to sum up diversity in one word, it means pride. It's about removing barriers. Confidence. Creativity. Potential. Understanding. It means belonging. So you've talked about new skills and, and the many challenges and opportunities that the industry is facing. What does that mean for roles? Are we seeing new roles within the sector? Definitely. And we have done for some time. I think it's just become more evident now. I mean, we're seeing this whole shift to online digital transformation skills, um, which was happening anyhow. And certainly from a very technical perspective, from the design, from production, manufacturing, all the way through. So we're seeing um, those types of skills and then them being uh, and then evolving into the customer journey skills, um, which, again, uh, is, is sort of uh, governed by a lot of the technologies and, and looking at the software as a service um, um, areas as well. We're also seeing changes in job titles. So because we have, you know, we're going from this traditional to the new, some of these job titles are changing in relation to those new skills. Um, and it is becoming slowly, but we are starting to get there. We're starting to see people talking about the skills they require rather than that job title, which I think is really important. And I, I think the traditional skills that we've seen before are having to incorporate new skills around the sector and what the sector is ex um, expecting. Um, and I think, again, that's something that is attracting new people to come into the, um, into the industry, which I think is, is really important. Um, I think the other thing that we're seeing in terms of new roles is also people saying, you know, we now maybe want to work differently. So where people have got used to working at home, where people want to require more flexible working, and we've just seen the 
the government say that, you know, maybe it's something that they're going to um, evolve in terms of offering more people um, the opportunity to request flexible working, even when they're starting the recruitment process. So, you know, we are all going to have to look at, you know, those types of new skills, if they are going to be scarce, how are we going to go and find them and retain them? And if we're going to have to retain them by looking at how we employ them in a different way. So I think we're in for one hell of a journey. Um, and the next five years are going to be really interesting to see what those skills look like, as well as how those skills are going to be employed and how um, candidates are going to want to be employed. Yeah, so just sort of picking up on that, and you've talked a little bit about how the automotive landscape is changing, you know, mobility, EVs, digital selling, it's pretty endless uh, list really, isn't it? But, you know, how will these new roles um, help to drive that change forward? I, Rachel, I, I like to talk about sort of evolution rather than change. And the reason I do that is because, you know, we continue change in business and we don't sometimes realise we're doing it. Um, and actually, if you look at some of the organisations that are already doing that in the sector, it's just it, it's just continuous evolution there because they listen to their customers, they understand the market and they can respond to it. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing more of in terms of that, uh, that evolution happening. And as I mentioned, you know, we've still got this whole retail piece in terms of what is it going to look like? Um, you know, how are we going to look at some of the traditional roles and from an engineering side and make them more technical because they're definitely going to become more technical. And then we've got the whole um, uh, EV, the digital sort of customer journey. Um, the couple of things that I think are interesting is the words around the landscape and the roles that are changing is all about agility and adaptability. Um, people realize that, you know, in order to be the best in class in terms of their organization to attract the right skills, they've got to show what they look like from not just from an inside, from an outside perspective. Although I was talking to one of our clients recently and, and he was talking about the balance of skills, the traditional versus the new. And I, and I do agree with him. You can't throw the baby out with bathwater. So you do need to have some experience. And that's one of the things that I've been really mindful of at Ennison Co is to make sure we have enough experience because with that it's really good coaching for new people that come into the organization that can learn quicker and I think that's you know incredibly important um, and the other thing is that we need to look at transferable skills because we don't always do that we always go and go and find somebody new to do it rather than look within the organization to see how can we transfer those skills? Because you will find there's people leaving the industry because they have certain skills that other sectors will really want. So it's, it's really for me about looking at, you know, where you are as an organization, you know, what can drive you forward in terms of skills and opportunity. And, and again, you know, I use this phrase a lot, but not trying to eat the elephant, do it in a very pragmatic, and careful and commercial way. But the main thing that I'm seeing at the moment in terms of the roles is all about the customer. The customer is at the forefront of everybody's mind, irrespective of where you are in that food chain. I mean, there's been a lot of, of talk in the media um, about skills shortages, and you know, this is 
definitely not peculiar to the automotive sector. I know it's impacting us in the media industry as well. But how do we go about solving that? Um, it's one that, you know, there's always been skill shortages. Um, there's been skill shortages in engineering, you know, since the day I was born and I'm probably when I'm long gone. Um, but I think we need to be really careful that what we don't do with a skill shortage is throw money at it. And you've seen the things that Tesco's and some of the logistic companies are doing to try and find drivers where you're giving incentive bonuses to join, et cetera. And actually what that does, it creates another problem rather than actually thinking about how do we actually solve it from the grassroots down? So I think the thing for me is you need to do the basics really well. You need to do the talent planning, the succession planning and the discussion and the succession discussions in your organization. You need to look at transferable skills, transferable data, um, and also the whole customer piece as well in terms of what your market looks like and how do you decide what skills you're going to need to actually fulfill your market. Um, early succession planning is, is really key. And it's something that people talk about they do, but I'm not sure they do it that well. Um, and you'll also find that certain people can move quicker through their organization with looking at transferable skills than, than others, because we don't talk enough to the individuals in the organization to find out what they really want. Um, and I think that's really something that people need to sort of take up the reins and do quicker. Um, again, you know, there are some really interesting job share um, schemes that are out there. Ford um, are doing, they've got two very senior people who are job share and it works. So if it can work, you know, try and find reasons, you know, why it works rather than why it doesn't work. Because I think that sometimes people don't, you know, realize that. The other thing is that people want different benefits now than they ever did before. So if you have got skill shortages, you know, have a look at where the market is and what the opportunity of that market is, and then look at the individuals and ask people what they want, because it could be that you're missing out on a talent pool because you, you haven't asked the right questions. And I think that's incredibly important. And the one thing that, in you know, this whole skills thing, you know, if, if, if I had a pound for every time one of our customers or a client says, you know, we've got a little shortage of here, we can't find this, we can't do that and whatever. So what I've decided to do is we're going to commission um, a transforming automotive skills roadmap for 2025. Um, and we're currently working on it. Um, and it's going to be published in the new year. And, and what it is going to be is not telling people what they already know. What it needs to do is look at the landscape and then give them a roadmap to some of the solutions around it. And that's why, you know, I talk about, you know, talent pool, succession, communication, job sharing they're not rocket science but if they're done really well and people can show that they've worked in their organizations then that will help some way to to to, to help with the skill shortage so that will be um that will be published in the new year um and finally you know i think you just got to be open-minded about a few things and you know organizations got to say no we can't do that because that won't work in an organization we can't give flexible working or we can't do whatever but also be open-minded to say, okay, well, why don't we try it? And, and I think, again, it's being quite clear about what you're trying to achieve with your skill set, your business and your market, and to be very focused on that. So just picking up on that, that theme of organisations, 
you know, and we've talked about where the industry might head it, it might be headed, but you know, how do you think those sort of industry developments will impact the structure of those organizations? I'd love a crystal ball to answer this one, but I haven't got one. But however, I'll give give you my, my thoughts for, for what it's worth. Um, I think we're going to see more more evolution. I think we're going to see more excitement, more challenge, and hopefully better leadership out of it. Um, I think you know sometimes we have to remember pre-pandemic. You know, the pandemic has been horrible for for so many people. Um, but what it's done, it's made us much more resilient, adaptable, and perhaps a little bit more accepting of trying something new and probably being a little bit more grateful and helping each other, which I think has been a really good thing. Um, I have, you know, I think we need to find new ways to work, um, new thinking. And I think sometimes we have to readjust both our, both our moral and our corporates, corporate compasses in this to, to have a look at, you know, how, how, how accepting are we to certain things? And, and as I said, I think the pandemic, you know, has taught us a lot, um, but it's certainly taught us how to work at pace and how to be adaptable. Um, you know, the BBC commissioned a report recently about talking to people about what they wanted from work and how that can affect the industry and industries in general. And, you know, could we all go down to a four day week? Um, and I'm not sure that's feasible. I'm, re I'm really not sure it would work for everybody. Um, but you know what? Sometimes maybe you have to try these things to see whether or not that would work. Um, you know, we've now exp experienced so much new since COVID. Um, and I think the organizations that have really embraced it and, you know, seen it as an opportunity and not an Achilles heel and not made excuses for it, because. You know, we've all phoned up people and said, you know, we need this. And they go, oh, well, we're really sorry, but because of COVID, because of COVID, we've got to stop making excuses for COVID and we've got to just get on with the day to day. So I think we're going to see more change. I think we're going to see more excitement. I think we're going to see some amazing industries and some amazing companies, you know, come out of this really, really strong. And I think they'll be the winners. They'll be the winners. So you've talked about the need for organisations to be agile, which you sort of typically associate maybe lazily with smaller, perhaps newer digital startup type environments. How will those big OEMs fare in such a rapidly changing world? Whether people like it or not, the OEM owns the product um, and they do hold the trump card in that. So irrespective of things shifting in the sector, um, They'll be pretty key to this. Um, they also have the funds. And as we've seen, they can respond at speed when they want to. Um, the other thing the OEMs have is data. Um, and the big question, who owns the data, has been one that's been going in the industry for, for some time. Um, but it's probably even more important now in the new world we live in. And you've only got to you know, see examples of, of what organisations are trying to do, like Ford Pro and you know, in terms of using that data and that customer data in a diff different way. Um, I think the regulatory pressures um, are still rife in the industry. Um, and I think, you know, that's got to be looked upon in terms of, you know, the customer and how we get around that from data. Um, you know, if you're going to have sort of more adaptable transactions, you know, 
contactless um, bespoke products and play, you know, in play products. Um, they're going to, it's going to arise in terms of some of the regulations around it. So I think, again, that's going to be some of the tricky things to walk through. But I think people should never underestimate the OEM power. Um, you know, the disruptors have all come into the market and, you know, they're all trying to take a piece of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, just don't underestimate them. And, and I think the other thing that's clever with them as well is if you look at like brands like Stellantis, where they've multi brands and they can they can go to their markets with a number of different opportunities, different products, different services. Um, and I think they've got a good EV offering. So if you've got if you've got an OEM that's really clever and smart, then I think you know they could be the new force of nature, if you like, in terms of moving that forward. Um, I think also the other thing is that you know it's quite nice to have a bit of competition. And I think actually the competition in terms of disruptors has spurred the OEMs on a bit. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's going to be a fun place to sort of look and, and look at as well. So it's just slightly changing uh, tack. What are the different demands that organisations are making as they focus on more diversity within their companies during obviously the recruitment and also the onboarding process i'd imagine that is is something that you're being asked increasingly to focus on as well i mean it's a complete candidate market you know people talk about what 4.9 million people unemployed um I, let me know where they all are because it would be great um it's incredibly tight incredibly tight i've never seen anything like it um the candidates now in charge and asking more questions than ever um and even though it's a very positive market they want to know all about the organization's brand and your presence in the market and how do you represent yourself so what you say on paper and what you say on your website and your your comms is it is it true so um, they really want to do that um, flexible working again and the benefits uh, it just comes up over and over again um, and again I think one of the things that people are more interested in now is how diverse is your organization and inclusive you know are you going to let me do voluntary work um you know are you happy for me to you know have friday afternoons off because i'm jewish or you know they want to know all of those questions and they want to know that that's embedded in your organ organization and the way you behave around certain diverse communities um and they also want to know how their career progression is going to, um, to go. And not, I'd like to join the company and I'd like to, you know, talk about, you know, will I have an opportunity? They want to know what that opportunity will be and how long will it be before I get it? So uh, the language is changing around it as well. Um, and I think uh, the other thing is we're seeing that organisations and candidates will both want to invest time in the recruitment process as well as the onboarding process to make sure that what they were sold in the beginning is what they're going to be delivered in their career. Um, and I do think, you know, the whole diversity and inclusion agenda that is, you know, if organisations haven't done it by now, my God, I mean, you know, God help them because, you know, it's rife everywhere. But that whole DNI piece around their brand I don't think it's ever been more important than it is today. Um, it's absolutely vital that um, 
the way you portray yourselves in, in the market um, and how you look after your candidates is, is just so, so important. So what does diversity actually mean now and why is it so important? It should mean inclusive, inclusivity. Um, though sadly, I think sometimes it does get, it becomes more about gender. The gender conversation starts before anything else. And I, I get that and I understand it. You know, I'm, I've been a, a woman growing up in many corporate companies and I've got many tales of it. Uh, but, you know, I think I've become more resilient because of that. And that's made me hopefully a better a better leader and a, and a, and a better coach. Um, I don't think you should wear a label. Um, if you really want to be inclusive as an organisation, you should live and breathe it. Um, I always believe the best candidate uh, should get the, the opportunity irrespective of gender, race, religion, disability. However, I'm not sure that happens in reality now. And I think that's very sad. And I think that's down to you know, the whole area around quotas and, you know, if you want a diversity and inclusion business, you just have to live it and make it happen, you know, and it should be a natural way of growing your organisation. You shouldn't have to force it. Um, and I think you need to be very careful if you do decide to go down that route, because if you're thinking you've got to hit a quota rather than actually the best person, then actually, you know, are you doing the best thing for your company and your shareholders? And I, I really do believe that. Um, and I think, you know, if you want ultimately the best talent, you, you have to be inclusive and demonstrate it. Otherwise, you know, you'll have barriers. And, you know, candidates are very savvy and they'll, they'll look through it and they'll see it. And they'll say, well, actually, even though you're portraying all this stuff in the media, actually, you're not. And people will look on glass door and they'll, and they'll challenge you on it. So if you're going to say that you're inclusive and that you are an organisation that, you know, breathes and acts in the right way, then you have to make sure that, you know, you can clearly demonstrate it to candidates. At Nissan, our goal is zero emissions, zero fatalities and zero inequality in our society. We believe diversity gives us strength. It drives creative solutions, original ways of thinking, and a better experience for our customers. The automotive industry has career opportunities for people of all backgrounds, whether that's artistic expression and design, maths expertise in engineering, or storytelling in marketing and communications. If you have a talent and a desire to succeed, there's a bright future for you. After all, innovation is only truly exciting when it's for everyone. So my next question is around you know, the start of people's careers. I'd like to, to sort of spend a bit of time thinking about that. This is, this is quite well-timed for me, this question, as I've just dropped my eldest child at university last weekend. I'm still feeling a bit weepy. Uh, but what would you say to someone who is at the stage of making choices around universities? First of all, not everyone has to go to university. Not everyone wants to go to university. And if I take Freddie, who, who works in Ennis Co., you know, he he was at college. Um, you know, the story is quite. You know, I I was having supper in a restaurant that he was working in. Um, the service was bad. He was seventeen years old at the time, and he picked up and dealt with it and was superb. And I happened to say, not that I do this every time, but I happened to ask him what he was wanting to do with his life, and uh, 
he said he was trying to desperately decide that and I said let me help you and I wrote my phone number and gave it to him which is a bit of an odd thing to do but um I did it and then Freddie's you know came to work at Ennis Co and six years later he's just an exceptional young man um with an ambition to take over the business and I, and, and that's what I love the fact that you don't always have to go to university to be successful however you know life is about choices um but I think one of the things I would say make sure whatever you decide you're going to do you love to do it because you'll exceed in it much quicker and if you've got built-in passion for it then it will be even greater and I strongly believe that you know there is so much choice now that you have you know just make sure that you you know you do what you really enjoy in life because it is too short and I think the last 18 19 months have all shown us that yeah what would you say then to someone who's sorry what would you say to someone at the beginning of their career however they've you know started out um I go back to my thing, make sure you love it. Um, gather advice, um, find good mentors, mentors that you can you can always go back to in your life. It's really important. Find, you know, not, not you know, 20, but find three or four that you know that will be a really good, steady, um, there'll be steady people that you can go to all the way through your career. Um, ask lots of questions and make lots of lists. Um, sounds crazy but I'm a list person but make lots of lists um and I, and I think you know I always you know I had a I had a career in hotel um, management but I had a passion for automotive and whilst you know I absolutely feel that I did the right thing at the time to go and have a really strong career and a, and a good training program or whatever um my heart still lived in automotive because I used to work in my father's workshop and you know, I still came back then to my real passion. And I think that's really, really important to do it because nowadays, you know, if you don't, if, if you don't enjoy what you do, people will see through it. And also you'll never ever be happy. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's difficult to listen, you know, when, you, when you're set on something and you really, really want it. Um, sometimes you just, you know, you, you're never, you're never going to achieve it. And I think you just need to be honest and very savvy with yourself. Um, but, you know, I would say dream big because, you know, it's a big old world and you can, you can really achieve loads of things if you want to. So a, a slightly challenging question, perhaps, but given what we've talked about in terms of companies needing to be agile in this very fast paced environment, where would you start your career in a startup? Or at an EM. Everyone seems to gravitate nowadays to the new and exciting. Um, but the problem with that is that there's a whole group of people who, you know, can try doing it, but they probably have a lack of skills to be able to, to do it. Um, because it's it's not easy working in a, a new business, you know. So, you know, talking from experience. I don't think if, if I hadn't had my corporate career, I don't think I would have ever really had um, the inclination to go and start my own organisation. Um, and it taught me a lot. And in lots of ways, I made loads of mistakes 
in corporates and made you know, successes, but I also learned things. And I think if you're a, a startup and you don't have that solid sort of grounding, sometimes it can be really, really tough. It can be, unless I go back to my early point where you have good mentors and good people that you can go to. Never underestimate the training and investment that you know an OEM or a big corporate will, will commit to their employee. Um, and that training is absolutely valuable. You know, I, I can't thank, you know, the companies I work for that sent me to INSEAD and to Ashridge, you know, it really taught me a lot. Um, so if you asking that question is, I would go to a startup because, you know, I know how exciting it is when you start your own business. I also know how challenging it is. But for me, you know, I think you've really, really got to make sure you've got the stomach for it because, there's lots of pushback, there's lots of hard times, and you're running a commercial business. And if you've got investors and you've got people that want you know, their return, you have to know what you're doing. So yeah, love the new, but just remember you do get a lot of, a lot of grounding in a, in, in, in a corporate or in an OEM. Do you think our career paths will become increasingly fluid or increasingly fixed in this new digital world? Uh, 100% more fluid. Uh, it's happening now. It ha it's been happening for ages. People have been looking at portfolio careers. People have been saying, well, if I have a particular skill, why can't I do it for four or five different companies? Why do I need to do it for one? So I think that's, and for me, I think that's great. I think it's really great because that will help with the skill shortage. It will help with keeping candidates interested. It will help with organisations moving forward. So I definitely see it becoming a much greater part of our overall makeup. And if, if it's possible to do so, could you give us a headline prediction for how this market will look in 10 years' time? Oh, God. Well, hopefully I'll be retired, Rachel. Um, and Freddie will be MD, so I'll be happy. I'll be a happy girl. Um, and hopefully you might pay me a, a nominal sum and I might get some money out of my pension. So um, I, don't, I don't like predictions but because they can be dangerous, but I'll give you a few headlines. Um, and some of my thoughts. Um, I hope we'll see more inclusive organizations through natural process rather than just forced quotas. I think um, more open and progressive leadership with strong moral behaviors around the boardroom table, because I believe that's something that maybe isn't as, uh, as good as it should be, shall we say. There's some excellent people, but there's also some things that aren't right. I think we'll move to more skill-based recruitment rather than just recruiting from a job title um, and hopefully the lessons learned from the pandemic will help us build more sustainable organizations for the future I think we're much more aware of the world and the environment around us and I hope we'll find a, a solution to handling some of the skill shortages and I hope that I'll be part of that roadmap to help people do that with the white paper that will come out next year um, because it's you know I'm not a great preacher I'm a doer and I really do believe that, you know, if we want to have a, you know, predict what we're going to happen in, you know, a few years time, we have to make it happen. So we're the ones that actually can influence that. So my final question, what would be your top tips for people and specifically for women, because this, of course, is great British women as a podcast, uh, looking to get on in the automotive industry? I don't want to be so gender specific because I'm an inclusive person, but I do get the fact that, you know, and there's some fantastic 
great British women, as we've seen in the last six years. Um, so I'll answer it in an inclusive way, which will include the, the gender piece. Um, we need to be looking at, you know, attracting more talent into the sector. And the way we need to do that is by creating more of a noise um, and, and a, appealing to new generations. And what I mean by that is not communicating with them sitting on a stage at a school, you know, with looking at, you know, all white males with their suits because they're not going to, they're not be interested. You know, they want us to be able to communicate using social media and new communities and talent. Um, you know, they want us to be, you know, they want to look at this industry and go, wow, it's the most exciting place because we're representing the same way as we're communicating to them. So I absolutely think that we should be broadening our talent pools and, and looking at individuals that have come in from outside or, or people like Freddie that we could showcase that actually you can have a fantastic career in this industry and we're, we're talking to you in a different way. Um, I think we're going to have to learn to, you're going to have to headhunt these people, you know. Um, I think it's really important that, you know, individuals portray themselves in the markets that we can find them um, and that we can, uh, we can, we can headhunt them. Um, I think we also need to be thinking about, you know, sharing skills um, and for women, you know, and sharing jobs and um, giving people the opportunity to maybe work in a way that um, a bit like Ford and a bit like their, their job share, you know, it can work and we can work in a different way. Um, and, you know, and the other thing is, you know, if nothing else, the last 19, 19 months have taught us that life's um, too short. Um, so I think we just have to live it to the, the full and have fun and, and eat lots of cake and enjoy ourselves. And, um, you know, I think women just need to realise that they are an incredibly part, important part of this industry. We've got some amazing players in it now in terms of key people in key roles like Alison Jones. And, uh, you know, we just we just need to make sure that we, you know, we look upon those and we... And we we just give some visibility to those people and, and I think that will attract a different different type of person into the sector. Thank you so much. Uh, I think sadly we might be out of time but uh, there are so many takeouts um, that uh, certainly I'll be taking and not just the eat more cake during a pandemic uh, which is vital clearly uh, but I hope our many listeners today have found something that really resonates with them and have been inspired by um, much of what you said so thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule uh, to share your thoughts and experiences with us it's uh, hugely valuable thank you so much thank you Rachel I really appreciate you asking me